Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Du. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters, Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of one sentence a day, life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Yay! Welcome! Hey, hey, hey! We're back semi-live, at least more recently recorded. We had a best of episode last week on how to murder writer's block in its sleep. 
which is always handy. But now here we are. Steve was making a very cute strangling motion, which you guys probably didn't see. But here we are. This week's topic is AI and the writer. A lot of conversation about AI in the news this week. We'll get into all that. But honey, if it's okay with you, I'd like to talk about, I don't know, you know, what's going on. I know it's Sunday for y'all, but it's Friday for us. And I feel that. I feel that Friday in my bones. So happy. You know, the weird thing about having the holiday on Tuesday was that Wednesday was like Monday all over again. So that wasn't fun. (laughs) But anyway, I just want to, you haven't really said much. I don't want to monopolize. No, I haven't said a whole lot. You know, I'm kind of getting deeper into the Star Wars project. I'm about 120 pages in on the script part of it. I always write books as scripts first so I can test. It It allows me to create an outline a lot faster than trying to write a complete book. And then if the story works at that level, then I know it works and I just convert it. So I've been doing 25 pages a week on that. And it's, it's, it's I've kept up with that. Simultaneously, nice. I'm working on another book. And simultaneously, I came up with ideas for 10 short stories for another project that we're not ready to discuss yet. But also, you know, we're on this process of looking at how when the writer's strike ends, you know, and it will, there's going to be a change in our lives just in terms of a lot of Hollywood stuff happening very rapidly quite likely. And I wanted to be really sure that we were on, that Tanana Reeve and I were on the right path together, that we were operating smoothly enough that, you know, if you're going down the road at at 10 miles an hour, you can drive in a tractor. But if you're going 100 miles an hour, you better be in a Ferrari. Yeah, Tolerances are much smaller for that. So if we kind of said, well, you know, 80% of the time we're operating in complete harmony, but that 20% of the time gets bumpy once you start accelerating. So I want to get up to 95%. I believe that 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 80% of the remaining 20% will get us to a place that is functionally as good as it gets. It would be foolish to try to get to perfection there. In fact, a little friction doesn't hurt. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a, it's a spicy. Huh? Yeah, keeping it spicy. So my commitment is for for three months, 90 days, to give Tananariv all the love I possibly can, all the support I can, all the affection I can. And in order to do that, I'm having to learn some things about myself that I have not taken care of certain aspects of my own emotions. What What have you noticed, sweetheart? Because we're on day seven. Um, I love it. <laughs> okay. If I could just say you've been super sweet super emotive, reminding me how much you love me. And of course, I have no choice but to reciprocate because I also love and cherish you. So really, it's just being more mindful of how lucky we are and all of the things that we love about each other and living with each other and working with each other and co-parenting with each other. But I think what's really revolutionary about the program, and thank you for bringing it to us, is that it's focused on self-awareness and self-improvement. So you're not trying to fix your partner. That is No, I'm trying to fix myself. You know, I asked myself a very yes. serious question. 
what would I have been like if I'd been raised in a perfect family in a perfect society? And where did the damage of being in a single parent household with a mother who felt a tremendous amount of fear and insecurity in which there was food insecurity and not exactly poverty, I don't think. I think that that would be unfair to say because she never let us feel that way. But she died in debt and she was drowning in bills most of her life, you know, and, and it gave her nightmares. So I don't know what to make of that, where we were financially in that, you know, were we middle class, black family? Maybe. But it, it strip mined my mom and mm. it really, really hurt her to to work that hard to provide for us and didn't leave her enough room to have a life in some ways. So I realized that there are ways in which I didn't have a model of what a man was that was natural and within the context of a healthy relationship. So I went out and found images. And I think that, that my basic thought was, well, I don't know what it is to be a man, but I can figure out what it is to be human. Mm. And so I focus, I, I, I put my focus there, but there are some things that I missed. And I think that those things damaged my first marriage. And I think that if I take total responsibility for that, I have the chance to wake up and move to a completely new level because who we are in our relationships, it influences our health, it influences our careers, it influences so many different things that I don't think I could make a major change in one arena that does not affect those other arenas. So I'm looking forward to this process on every conceivable level, especially the fact that it puts a smile on my baby's face. Yes. Yes, absolutely. When you're working on things that you're working on, I want you to go into them with the greatest level of confidence and clarity and knowing that you are bringing our whole family with you as you expand your heart, you know, that I can give you that gift and it is appropriate for me to give you that gift. Oh, <laughs> well, you are. And I feel it in every fiber. I think that what we're doing, this love feast, and you'll hear more about it because it is 90 days. So we'll yeah. be talking about it more. But it's been just, you know, just I, I can't even find the words. It's it's just I'll have to <laughs> edit out all these long pauses because. Don't you dare. I feel it so deeply. I'm so grateful for it. I like I like to tell my friends, Steve and I are like 80% perfection. I like I feel like we have the best relationship of almost anyone I know, which is saying a lot. So on one level, it's like, you know, why mess with success? But that 20% of the time when we sort of have to put on our brakes and work around our conflicting traumas and right. you know, why not? put a flashlight there and really dig in. And instead of just kind of paving over with band-aids, why don't we dig it out and then rebuild it? And I think that will be incredible. It's possible that my, my favorite definition of success is the progressive realization of a worthy goal. That means constant improvement. Mm. That means that you, there is no resting place. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. You're either growing or, you know, when you're green, you grow, and when you're ripe, you rot. You, you have to decide which side of that line you're going to be on. I choose the growth side, integration and, and, and growth and healing. And this will require me to have a different balance of the male and female energies inside myself, which has to do with discipline and creativity, with love and the way I manage fear. It's, you know, ambition and acceptance. No matter how you divide that up, it's possible to look at how there are yin and yang aspects of this 
And the healthiest human being is the one who's kind of on the middle of that with just enough of that spark to create the dynamism. Yes. Um, or just enough of that spark to create the attractive power. And then those two yin and yang symbols connect and create the Tao together. So when we created the soulmate process, it was all about the fact that most people looked at our 80% and thought that it was, you know, a miracle. And, and it was in many ways. So we created it. And for the next 100 days, you know, 90 days, at least, we're reducing the price on it. Yeah, the soulmate process for people who don't remember, because we did a whole podcast about it previously, mm-hmm. is our digital download course called the soulmate process, which is us. It, it was done in interaction with students at the time live, but you get to see the the replays and learn from, from their input. But it's really breaking down how we prepared ourselves to meet each other before we ever met, the specific steps we took, how those steps work, our philosophies of love. I mean, it's it's really, we felt uncomfortable doing it earlier in our marriage, but we're coming up on 25 years. Yeah, <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of time. So it's so, time. And once again, it's not about changing other people. It's about changing yourself. It's about healing yourself. It's about loving yourself. So if you go to www.soulmateprocess.com, you'll see what it is that we have there for you. And we hope that you'll be on this journey and that you, you'll let us coach you. You'll come to the Fire Dance meetings on Saturday. You know, email us, PM us, because we want you to succeed in every arena of your life, not just your writing. But at any rate, so that's kind of what's going on with us. And we can go right into today's topic, if you would like. Well, I want to go into the breaking news. You didn't even know we had a breaking news tag. (laughs) So today, Meta, I mean, not today, this week, Meta launched its so-called Twitter killer, which is called Threads. If you have an Instagram account, it is really just diabolically easy to start a Threads account and your follower count is built in. If you're following people on Instagram or they're following you, y'all are going to reconnect on Threads. And it's not exactly Twitter. I, I haven't noticed any GIFs. I haven't noticed any capacity to load video. It's very, very brand heavy in terms of influencers and that kind of thing. It's not at all intimate. But this is just the next in the absolutely mind-boggling race that developers have to replace Twitter as it is imploding. And I'm not going to get into it. it. It annoys me too much to watch what has happened to Twitter since Elon Musk bought it. But nonetheless, yeah, I it, think is- that it is reasonable to say that the Peter principle has kicked in. The oh, we all rise to our level of incompetence. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's a it's a real shit show. Anybody who tweets, I mean, even if it's not the trolls, which I've curated out pretty well, it's that who's even seeing your tweets anymore? You know, it's like the the, the engagement numbers are way down. It just feels like that dying town that everybody can't wait to move out of. So of course there was Blue Sky, which also was created by Jack, although he he's not running it. I don't know all the ins and yeah, outs who? of it. Jack, who created Twitter, I think his name is Jack Dorsey, okay. who created Twitter, didn't like what was happening there and puts, I believe he put some capital into starting Blue Sky, which now has hit a million users. When I joined just a couple of weeks ago, it was three weeks ago, it had 150,000 users. And now it's just hit a million users. So it's growing quickly, even though it's still invite only. It's invite only. It's in a beta phase. 
like no trolls, very, very left friendly, very LGBTQ friendly. If you use Black Sky, it's you can find other Black folks on there if, if, if that's what you're looking for. There are all kinds of little groups. And then let's not forget Spill. Spill came out of nowhere. Spill is a Black-owned and created app, which is for the iPhone. It's not on Android yet, from what I understand. Like Threads, it is phone-based, which to me is already, I've joined it. I like it. For some reason, it's the only one that has GIFs and and video. I don't know why, but it's not as text-based. And I'm a text-based gal. There are a lot of memes. It's really great to commune. I can only imagine if there's a tragedy that affects the Black community, that would be the first place I would go just to commiserate about it. Most of the users right now are Black, even though it's not Black only, but most of the users are Black. And again, it's one of those situations where you need a code to get in. And if you're on Twitter, all you have to do is go to at SpillMob and they will give you a code. That's all you got to do. And again, it's not Black only, but right now it's majority Black. And let me tell you, Steve, you know I'm a little bit of a Twitter addict, right? Yeah, just a little. Oh my God. But me, I'm like, oh, but but all these different clones, like I'm not even that person who likes to join new platforms. I I I didn't join Mastodon, or at least I never got past choose your server. It was like, ah, that feels too tough. I joined Hive and immediately forgot that I had joined Hive. But something about Blue Sky, because it looks so much like Twitter, got me. It's like, oh, this feels like home. And then there's this this tool you can use to find the people you follow on Twitter. So, you know, all these platforms. Let are, me ask you a question. Let's yeah. kind of bring this to specifically the topic of our broadcast. Yes. How have you used Twitter and these other devices to advance your career? That's the thing that keeps me coming back. I mean, would we have written a Twilight Zone episode if I hadn't met Jordan Peele through Twitter? That's no. like that's oh, my no. that's my gold standard. And I know I have networked with so many other screenwriters, producers, authors. I mean, I have watched authors jump from platform to platform as they're born in real time right. promoting their books like it's like, and everyone is a little bit different. So you have to you can't just use the same posts all across all these platforms because they all have different rules and different specifications. So I'm like mind blown at how many people are just adapting like it's nothing, like they got a whole team of like, go, 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 go. <laughs> and that's what's leading to a bit of obsession. So yes, I do believe it helps even more so than book sales because we do do internet marketing. Soulmate Process is one of the courses we sell. Right. I have a mailing list. It's nanareevelist.com. I have one at stephenbarneslist.com. And the real ones know that it's all about the list. It's about the email list. It doesn't matter if Twitter disappears tomorrow or Threads disappears tomorrow. If you have your email list, you can still reach out to your fans and to your customers. So I have found that I'm getting more signups, honey. I'm getting more signups on my list. I don't exactly know why, but I think it has to do with my link tree being spread across all these different apps. Threads grew amazingly fast. Like I have like probably 1500 followers when I just joined yesterday. So the capacity, that's the thing. It's not that I'm addicted to being on my device. (laughs) I love interaction. Like someone said of something I posted on threads yesterday, that that was the first time she had laughed out loud in six months. 
So I, I like the connection. I like trying on my comedy chops, you know, but it's also obviously you are engaging because you want to grow your, your follower count. You want to grow your list that helps, you know, once in a while, someone buys a book, once in a while, someone buys a course. That's the point, right? <laughs> so yeah, to answer your question, it has helped. It's just another way of trying to use technology. For some writers, it's really just not being so lonely because we're so isolated and you have your circle. And it was heartbreaking to think that Twitter would just vanish or that you can't reach your people on Twitter because it's all messed up now. But yeah, I think we are leading into our our topic of technology and writers. And speaking of news, I was pretty shocked, actually, to see one of our past podcast guests, author Paul Tremblay, who's been on our show as a plaintiff, a co-plaintiff in a lawsuit against OpenAI, which is the company that created our favorite little AI chatbot called ChatGPT. I've I've been complaining about ChatGPT in the classroom. Many of you who are teachers have probably encountered those students who thought, oh, they've reached the promised land. Their essays can be successfully written by AI. And hey, some of them are getting away with it. But this particular lawsuit is alleging Uh, Basically, that OpenAI absorbed these books by these authors, Paul Tremblay and Mona Awad as his co-plaintiff, are claiming that in a class action suit that OpenAI basically devoured their books as a training exercise and is breaching copyright law. And I'm not a lawyer. And I don't know if this case has any legs to stand on, but can I tell you how excited I was when I saw that they were actually fighting back. You know, I just think it's like, yes, let's uh... look to me. You have to start with the question, what is artificial intelligence, which asks us to define artificial and also asks us to define intelligence. (laughs) Right. Because what I can tell you for sure is that a hundred years ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, people said when computers can do X, we will admit they're intelligent. And those are things like beat human beings at chess. I mean, <laughs> that, that we long ago passed. Bring we the perspective, baby. So Bring the perspective. It, I love it. it. I think that in part, what's going on is that as as this tool that we've created that tries to imitate the way human beings, the results that human beings get, gets better and better at that, we keep moving the goalposts because partially because it, it makes us very nervous. And, you know, we have a hard time admitting that other animals or even other groups of human beings are intelligent but also because we are learning more and more about the nature of the human mind. I think we've reached a point right now, the the, the notorious Turing test, where you have a computer in one room and you're sitting in another room and you ask, you use a teletype and you ask the computer questions. And if you cannot tell more than 50% of the time, whether you're talking to a computer or a human being, it is considered, it was considered to be functionally intelligent. Well, we've long since passed that. Oh, yeah. But and, and it is reasonable to keep asking what it is. But the one thing that's true is that no one anymore has a test that the average human being can pass that computers cannot. That we're, we're at a point now where it feels to me that it's pointless to ask, is it really artificial intelligence? And it's more important to ask, what is the impact of this going to be on what we yeah. uh, on our species? So when computers scrape novels 
and movies and stuff like this. That's what human beings do. You know, we don't do it exactly the same way, but all the creative people I know have been scraping, have thousands of books that they've scraped in their homes that they are constantly learning. And even if the computer isn't doing it the same way, it's doing it its way. And if we're doing it differently by some forms of very high level pattern recognition and so forth and so on, that doesn't change the fact that this moment of challenge is here and we need to address it. And I think that's what's going on with the, I mean, if you go to chat GPT and you ask it to generate a season's worth of story ideas for your favorite television show, it'll do it. And And you'll realize, you know something, these ideas aren't all that bad. You know, because most ideas for most television shows really are retreads of things you've seen before. And when you think it's being really creative and original, what you have is somebody who is recombining old elements in ways that you have not seen. And and there there isn't anything new in that sense, but there are new arrangements that touch our hearts in, in ways that we have not touched or that you personally have never been touched. We we did it for fun. You know, prompts in the style of a Tanana Reeve do story. Yeah. I had a story outline due for a project that I hadn't really, non-WGA related, I want to say, because we're still on strike. And I, and I I basically was so tired because of something else I was working on. I was I was getting crickets. So just for fun. I put in a prompt in chat GPT and what was interesting was I, I didn't use the prompt. I, don't, I, I, I didn't use it because I didn't quite like it, but it did wake me up. It's like, oh, okay. It, it was almost as if seeing this device come up with ideas help kickstart my own creative process. Well, I mean, look, I mean, that, that, that line, the best way to come up with a good idea is to have a lot of bad ideas. Right. And it gave me a lot of bad ideas. So there I was like, go. oh, these are bad ideas. It's this not this, okay it's not idea. this, it's not this, but something inside you is looking at the patterns and recognizing a few points of interest. It's like, well, that's not a good idea, but I wouldn't mind generating that emotional response. Right. How else might I do that? Exactly. And I even told, you know, I railed against ChatGPT in my UCLA class this past quarter because the previous quarter was the first time I had started to see papers with completely erroneous plot summaries uh, and, and information that you could tell obviously was from devices like ChatGPT because it's not as good with novels within or movies within the past couple years, apparently. So Jordan Peele's nope, it was all over the map. And the thing about ChatGPT is it never says, I don't know. It will make it up. In fact, there was a very famous case where some attorneys got in big trouble because they had chat GPT write legal briefs and it literally made up precedent cases and the judge. <laughs> so there are that dangers. suggests one thing that teachers can do is to have people do papers that relate to things that have happened inside the window yes. where, where, the, where the AI did not, does not function. But also, I bet that's going to change rapidly, too. I mean, it's like mock speed, everything that's happening. But what I tell my students is look at it as a souped up Google. Okay, if you want to get prompts for an essay, like what what are the Afrofuturistic themes and this or that or the other, whatever, get your prompts. But if you're copying and pasting, you're cheating. What I see is that writers do have some things to fear because a lot of times the executives will feel you know, that, that writers and, you know, Alfred Hitchcock famously felt that actors were just objects to be moved around and manipulated by the director or, you know, by the executives. So 
generating ideas for story episodes, I can easily see executives saying, you know, I've generated five ideas and I want, you know, taking it to the writer's room and saying, this is what you're going to do. Oh, my God. You just you know, of course made a chill gonna... go through my body at the yeah, idea I mean, of weaponizing. That, that, like that conversation who already probably, make their storytellers. That, you know? that conversation has probably already taken place. And, and we know and someone. we're just at the beginning of this. So if you don't think that these things are going to write scripts, you're crazy. And some of the scripts will end up, you know, after tinkering with them, better than the worst scripts that are being that are being. Page, I would and, say probably page one rewrites more than tinkering, but maybe they would have the bones of the structure at least. Which I think that you are underestimating how bad some of the stuff that gets on television is. Oh, maybe. And how fast this stuff is improving. That well, those two things, it's a little bit like saying that the average woman in the WNBA could not compete in the NBA, but that the best women in the NBA are better than the worst men in the NBA. No question about that to me. Well, so the best stuff that, that these computers are doing is going to be better than the worst stuff that gets on television, with, probably right now and certainly within five years, because at this point, the, this stuff is, is improving so fast. That within two years we will have had another four generations of progress, which so is this is why happening rapidly. It is happening rapidly. That's why the WGA is holding the line now. Yes, it's not. It's not like there had been an issue with people being replaced by AI, but the WGA is looking ahead and reading the writing on the wall. And there are a lot of executives who seem to think they can replace at least lower level staff writers with AI. People who write outlines. We know a screen, a showrunner who was pretty confident that AI could write outlines, you know, so you're, you're absolutely right about that. They can, you know, I've seen, I did just yesterday, I think it was, I asked for five stories in, in the style of Doc Savage, the, you know, and I'd done that before with a couple other fictional characters and the stories they came up with and the titles of the books they came up with were perfectly, it's like, you know, Kenneth, Kenneth Robeson, you know, Lester Dent was his real name, used to write one Doc Savage novel every month. The stories that this thing came up with were no worse than the worst, you know, the, the lower third of what Lester Dent did. Now, this was not execution. It was just No, it's not line by line writing. That's right. It was just a paragraph. But as somebody said, if you chose one of those and said, break this down into 20 chapters, and then you took those chapters and said, break this down into motivation, reaction is you could create an outline that was as good as the stuff that was being done in the era of the pulps. And I don't know how much better it would have to be before the writing would be as good as as a moderately talented writer who was having to turn out, you know, 15 pages a day. I don't know. But what I do know is it can do this within seconds. It can right. Do this within seconds. So it is absolutely reasonable for writers to be afraid of what's happening here. And it's also reasonable for actors to be afraid of a few puppet masters controlling the licensed images of a bunch of familiar faces, you know, and putting them through their paces with synthesized voices that they've licensed. This is this is happening. So and, the question and, of what is the world going to be like has got to be discussed. Yeah, it has to be discussed. And here's what's notable is that even though, as I said, there there had not up to this point been like a huge infiltration of AI into writers' rooms and that kind of thing, the Writers Guild is just looking, let's put some safeguards and some language now and get ahead of this. They made a proposal and guess what they got back in return? 
absolutely crickets. Crickets. Not even a counter offer. Not because because the the producers are like, mm, we don't know, we want to have all the power. And SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, is people their membership is getting emails that they're about to strike, which I think is inevitable if they're using the same tactics they use with us. Especially, I think actors are at more immediate risk for replacement, like literal replacement with AI than writers are at this point. Maybe it's kind of neck and neck, but I don't want to spoil anything, but we just saw the new Indiana Jones movie. The first 20 minutes had me thinking, oh, if I were an actor, this would terrify me. Yeah, that didn't bother me because I looked at the de-aging of Harrison Ford, which has been on the news, as simply is just digital makeup. The question of synthesizing a character is you would need a number of different things. The business is clearly about to change. I I see it as more like puppetry, Mm. where somebody is going to have to decide what emotions this person is feeling and do that because the computer is going to synthesize that. But that's a lot further ahead. You know, during our lifetimes, probably the worst it'll get is licensed images being controlled by programmers and body double actors in, in, in suits that allow them to, to move and emote and speak. So you can have a half different, half dozen different people who earn a lot less than, you know, millions of dollars a movie coming together to create a performance. It, that's what I see. What I've been hearing anecdotally in terms of potential problems with the rise of the AI is one of my favorite voice actresses, narrators, was talking about how she turned down a huge sum of money (laughs) to license her voice for the audiobook industry, which is apparently being very aggressive. And, And I, hey, full disclosure, I love AI readers. I have a, I have a, an app called Voice Dream that I use to read books on blurbing. I'm an audio reader. I, it's not that I don't read, but I also like to read when I'm in my car, when I'm washing the dishes, when I when I'm it's you know doing something else. So for me, I it'll take me a lot more time to blurb a book if I have to literally sit still and put eyes on it, as opposed right. to running it through my voice stream reader and having my favorite reader, Emma is her name. She's British. Read it to me and she's fine. And I'm doing the same thing with the script I'm working on, where I have a whole cast. I'm getting quite obsessed with the casting and finding all the best. And somebody could say, well, you're doing that instead of hiring a group of actors to read. Right. And, you know, and, or, and or, or buying something you know, or, or buying the audio book. Of such and such. But see, I do buy the, like when the book comes out, I do buy the audiobook. Usually it's like before the audiobook has come out, I have a PDF and that's all I can do. But your point is well taken. All of us who are using AI in some regard are part of the problem. It's yeah. not that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say everybody doing that is bad because it is but, definitely enriched look, my life I, as a writer. I think that the, that the first thing is going to be to have these products clearly labeled. This was created by human beings. I think that the first step is going to be to clearly label movies and audiobooks and so forth as this was created by human beings or this is created by AI. And the problem is going to be the gray zone in between the two. Yeah. Uh, which allows people to make market and make decisions about where they want to spend their money. But those of us who are involved in the creative aspect had better be concerned about this and stop arguing about whether it exists and start looking at, well, if they get if they can do X what will it mean? And if they can do why, what will that mean? 
that this is the time to have those conversations and about a lot more than Hollywood matters. These are yeah. times to have these conversations about AI entering the human world across the board. I mean, don't even, you know, we're not even getting into like robotic police dogs and, and stuff like that. But just right. in terms of the, the programs that writers will interact with, the audio readers have a lot to think about. Do you take a big sum of money to license your voice or do you bet on yourself and make that money actually getting work? And you know, what and she if, said was she James didn't want to Jones, James put herself Jones, out of business. <laughs> James Will Jones is retiring from right. doing voiceovers. He has licensed his voice. So what's going to happen is that James Earl Jones is going to continue to do the voice of Darth Vader forever, which means that some other actor will not come in there and do that. He will probably, you know, read audiobooks, which deny other actors the job. And after he is dead, his his estate will probably get residuals from right. that, as opposed to some new actors doing it. So this is a matter of concern. And it's just you know, to me, it's just another technology, but it, it could end up being as revolutionary as fire. Well, I'm just beginning to see what this is. Here's what I'm seeing. I read a post on Instagram that was supposed to be about my short story collection, The Wishing Pool. And I had only read about three sentences before I realized, oh, my God, they used an AI to write this because it was a completely inaccurate description. It was just like those student papers. Right. And this was on a published blog. I saw a post on Blue Sky, not Twitter, from someone who said that they heard from an editor that they no longer had a freelance budget because they were going to be using their freelance budget to to use AI programs to write their okay. Their, their articles. Who else? I mean, they're, they're, oh, and the translating industry, all of us who use Google Translate, obviously that's AI powered, similar kind of thing. Someone posted that translators were fighting this battle five years ago. Yeah. And, and those translations are notoriously inaccurate, <laughs> but that doesn't stop it from taking over the industry. That's right. So in 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 a, a year it'll be half as inaccurate, and in another year it'll be you know it'll be a quarter as inaccurate, and this is the direction it's going in, and your children are going to live in this world. So it's important to, you know, whatever you think about AI, we're not there yet, we're not likely to be there. So for I think that you better look at the potential worst case scenario and say, well, if it happens, if it's already happened, if it is happening. If it happens at some point in the future, what then? How do we do that? Because by the time it happens, it's too late. So these discussions need to be in place before it has happened. If you think it hasn't happened yet, then huzzah, this is the time to get involved. You I'm know, so glad. The worst to be thing a- in the world to do is to wait until everybody agree that it's happened, because by that time, it'll be too late. No, by that time, it's like that scene in Terminator with the, with the flashbacks to the Great War and all the humans are huddled, <laughs> hiding. <laughs> and it, there's nothing but robots roaming the earth. But it's it's interesting times. It, it seems to have happened so quickly. So if you're an educator, if you're a writer, listen, I'm as anti-using AI over humans as, as the next person. But as you heard, I do use AI readers like Speechify. Mine is Voice Dream. It's cheaper, by the way, to have PDFs read to me. I have used ChatGPT to look at prompts and see what they have to offer. And it's, it's an, and it's very interesting. And your students, teachers are also so going let me to, ask you a to question. be doing this. What do you think writers, other than supporting the Writers Guild, who are on the trenches, in the trenches, what do you think are good uses of AI in the life of the average writer? 
the average writer, you know, I think you'd be cheating yourself if you didn't at least throw a few prompts in there. I mean, if you can go to a website that has a prompt generator (laughs) and use that as like a way to just write a fresh flash fiction piece that you never would have thought about. Everybody uses prompt. You know, if you've ever put random pieces of paper in a hat, as I have teaching writing students and have people pick them to come up with a story idea, it's not that different, right? So it's there's nothing evil about any kind of a prompt generator, as far as I'm concerned, unless it is literally violating a copyright. Although you can't copyright a plot point, right? You can't and you miss the fact that what it's doing in terms of scraping the web is, like I said, no different from what human beings do who read encyclopedically. We may coordinate these things in our minds differently. Computers will do that differently. We will do it better in some ways. But there are ways in which they're doing it better that the human mind cannot even come close to matching. Well, so the, the question of how can I do this, I would say that you're right. Brainstorming is a great way. Brainstorming also, I'm sorry, but also audio learners or just especially screenwriters, because it's so important to hear how dialogue sounds. And when I was finishing my novel, The Reformatory, that's coming out in October, one of the ways I kept myself in flow, even when I wasn't working on it, even when I was going to sleep at night, was to listen to a reader, an AI reader, reading my text that I had just written that day back to me? Does this flow? Does this sound like the more polished text that I was writing? Why doesn't it sound as polished? So I was almost always working on it. And any writers who like audiobooks, I would almost, I would really suggest at this point that you check out a program like Voice Dream and see if it helps your process to hear someone reading your work back to you while you're working on it. I And I would say that you could ask it to relate your idea to things that are at least five years old. You know, that you could say, you know, what what would Shakespeare have said about blank? And you take mm-hmm. a look at, at the sonnet that they create or whatever, and it's often funny, you know, and, and you mm-hmm. can ask, ask it to create haiku, ask it to create jokes on a particular topic, and it's read millions of jokes and millions of haiku, and it kind of figures out the patterns there. And that stuff can be inspiring. But you do understand that you are playing, you're playing with fire there because when you start using these things, you're admitting that these are tools that are valid for human beings to use. I don't, I think that is inevitable that, 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 that that cat's out of the bag. We can't, we can't put it back, but what we can do is use it as ethically as possible and to put safeguards into, in, in, in a place to protect our grandchildren. And I would also say this, I mean, as positive as I am about something like voice dream and and AI readers, I would say to writers the same thing I would say to my students. If you're a writer or you're calling yourself a writer and you're super excited because you think chat GPT or all these other open AI programs mean that you can copy and paste paragraphs and call yourself a writer, you are deluded. Being a writer is the act of writing. They're already... (laughs) There are already online magazines that have closed their slush piles because people mm. are AI generated short stories. Oh, and that's ridiculous. Within a couple of, within a year or two, they're going to be indistinguishable from normal human slush. And where it goes from there, very hard to say. But like I said, cat's out of the bag. So the thing to do is to ask ourselves, I think that we are That's scary. Yeah, it is it is scary. 
But I think that if you if you say, okay, this is what we're dealing with, then you ask yourself, what kind of a world could we be creating here? And there are negative aspects to that potential world, but there are also positive ones. That I think that there is, you know, that, that we have written countless stories about what happens when we reach the singularity, the point at which computers begin to program themselves and begin mm. to progress faster and faster beyond the capacity of human beings to even understand what they're doing. And the question of what kind of world that is, you know, in my own book, Eightfold Path, you know, I did eight stories that that in the aggregate dealt with that question, because the question of what AI is, is ultimately the question of what is intelligence? What is it to be human? The We're about to have a real opportunity to examine our own assumptions in that sense. And I think that, that those writers out there listening to this, this is your opportunity to help shape the future. What do you think? What is the negative future that we could have? What is the positive future that we could have? There is one future that says we might be about to reach the point at which wealth is being produced without the labor of 80% of the people in the workforce. That will either lead to stupendous poverty and revolution, bloody in the streets, or it could conceivably open the door to paradise. That universal basic income and things like that can be, can be afforded without it damaging society. That if, we will if we, have the wealth to do that. If we can get past the actors and systems that do not like to share wealth. Yeah, I, I think that that, we, that that really try to make people who are poor or who don't have resources out to be villains. I think that that is understandable and has some logic to it in a society in which every human being is needed to produce or reproduce at optimum levels. But that's not the same world. So the, oh, it has nothing to do with logic. But yeah, go no, on. No, it has on. a lot to do with logic. It has a tremendous amount to do with logic. It, but... The, the fact that if we're entering this new period, that we might have to wait for, you know, progress happens one funeral at a time, that the people who grew up in the world in which we needed every person to produce cannot necessarily change any more than my mother could change some of her basic attitudes that she got before she was 15 years old. She can have an intellectual awareness that the world has changed, but that feeling, no, I need to be working at keeping the gears grinding. People need to be doing that. There are a lot of people who feel that way, and they're not villains, most of them. But I think that, that people, writers who want to paint pictures of how positive this could be, to look at the arguments and try to try to resolve those arguments, try to address those, those complaints from a position of compassion and wisdom, I think that they have a chance to make a real impact right now. I think that we are asking new questions about what it is to be a human being. And I think that some of those answers could be wonderful. Some of them could be very dangerous, but some of them I think can be absolutely wonderful. Well, we've seen all the movies with unhappy endings. So hopefully uh, some of the writers out there listening can, at least in their own imaginations, create happier endings. <laughs> but yeah. there, it's here. It's here and it's definitely here to stay. I don't think this will be the first lawsuit. I would no. rather, Brisbane, I don't think this will be the last lawsuit, but uh, it's interesting to watch artists in conversation with their times and with technology and the, the, the way we can braid art and technology together. So yeah, use your imaginations. There's the bad out there. No question about it. But like Steve said, 
where's the good? Yeah, you know, to me, the good is really related to the question, if we no longer need to strive to avoid pain, we're producing enough, the, the AI can produce enough wealth to do that. What are we? What are human beings separate from the fear of working constantly to put food on the table and roof over our heads? I think that that those who have a negative view about human beings will believe that without that fear, we will devolve into laziness and stagnation. Those who believe that we are, we're programmed to want to evolve and grow can see that maybe we're about to leave our adolescence, that we've always been trying to create a tool like this, and that after countless generations of human strife, we've done it. And that the question, what next, is a valid question that could conceivably usher in an amazing period in human development. And I think that since the technology is here, no matter what, this is a valid, it's, it's valid to, to ask both the positive and the negative questions. So... I love this. I love this conversation. I'm, I have a feeling we'll have another one like it yeah, <laughs> because absolutely. like you said, this is not going to go away. No, and it's very important. It, this, this deals with the survival of humanity and the evolution of humanity. Don't forget, everybody, Steve and I are having a 90-day love feast, and you can learn more about how to either prepare yourself to meet your soulmate or to make the relationship you have even better. Look at our testimonials at www.soulmateprocess.com. And writers, don't forget, make yourself the hero or heroine of your own story. The hero and the adventure of your lifetime. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life.